Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas. I am your host and unconscious mind expert, Jenea Barnes. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. And I am so excited. We are going to dip into the topic of, is it fear or is it love? Some people say that there is only fear or love. And Jerome Imhoff and I are going to dive deep from two different perspectives about that idea of fear and love potentially being the only two things, or maybe not. Uh, Jerome, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the amazing things that you do. So my name is Jerome Imhoff. I am a, a illumination guide and spiritual teacher, and I live in Palm Springs, California. Um, I also work as a career coach and resume writer, but um, so kind of have two hats that I wear. Um, and I've been in practice since 2009, and I'm just thrilled to be here with Janea. You're one of my favorite people in the world, so having a conversation about Anything with you is always uh, exciting and fun. So looking forward to this. Awesome. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Jerome studies uh, Course of Miracles. And I think that concept of fear and love is a big one in the Course of Miracles. Can you share a little bit about where the perspective comes from in that line of study. And of course, obviously, if you have your own thoughts that filter sure. in, share them too. Sure. So uh, A Course in Miracles, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is a spiritual psychotherapy. And it's essentially a mind training in the relinquishment of a thought system based on fear and the acceptance instead of a thought system based on love. And at the very beginning of, of the course, the, the introduction, um, it talks very specifically about uh, the difference between fear and love. And um, essentially, the only thing from a course perspective that's real, meaning real in a metaphysical sense, which would be eternal, lasting forever, is love. And that fear is defined essentially as an absence of love. So it's mm -hmm. not even... In the, in the terms of a course, fear isn't even a real thing. So the course would liken it to darkness and light, whereas dark is not a thing, it's the absence of a thing. And no. fear is not a thing, it's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of love. Now, because we live on a three-dimensional plane. <gasps> we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> so fear manifests itself. So it's sort of difficult for people to wrap their minds around the fact that fear isn't real. Um, but because we're living in this 3D universe, fear manifests itself in ways that are very real to us as bodies, as people walking this planet. Um, right. But on a metaphysical sense, fear would be an illusion because the only thing okay. that's real is love. All right. So it's interesting because in the work that I've been doing, a lot of the work that I've been doing, I've been, we all have these parts of us that 
are sort of stuck, right? They create behavior that we don't like, or maybe they're parts of us that we're unwilling to accept. Maybe that one time somebody bullied us and deep in our heart, we decided that we hated them. And we like had that hate in our heart, but we know that we're a good person and we're not supposed to have that hate in our heart. So we stuff that part of us down, keep it locked away. And when it does come out, it sneaks out and does like, you know how a cat will like paw you real fast. Like it's almost so fast. You don't even know that it happened, except you have a slight scratch on your face. So a lot of these parts that really are causing these sabotaging behavior, these self-sabotaging behaviors are deeply hidden and they've been denied our love. So in that place of them being denied our love, they live in this place of fear, right? They were formed out of a place of pain, usually. So, you you know, we don't manifest hate in our heart naturally. It's not a natural thing for, I think, any creature. That's my opinion. You can fight with me on that one, but, (laughs) but so coming out of pain, then we're stuck. This, these parts are stuck in this place of trying to prevent the pain. And they're locked in this place of trying to prevent the pain or whatever it is that they don't want, which is a place of fear. So this is one of the pieces that, um, you know, I've been working with and with the fear being locked in that place of trying to prevent the fear, it has no access to the higher vibration, if you will, feeling of love. What are your thoughts on all that? So (laughs) I'm nodding because you're really speaking the the language of A Course in Miracles without even realizing it, because you're talking about these parts, right? So Mm -hmm. In the language of the Course, we actually have two minds. We have our right okay. mind, which the Course would call the Christ mind. And the Course uses Christian language, but not in any sort of religious way. The Course is not a religion. There's no dogma. There's no doctrine. But it does speak of things from that perspective. So there's the Christ mind. There's the enlightened mind. There's the mind that's aligned completely 100% with love. Because we were created as love. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the lessons in the Course is love created me like itself. So our natural being is love, source energy in a body, love in a body. Mm-hmm. But love in a body. I love love in it. A body. But we also have what the Course calls the ego mind, which is the fear-based mind. And mm-hmm. that's the mind that believes it's separated from God, right? Okay. The Course would say the separation isn't possible because we were created as, we were created by love. And we are ideas in the mind of God. We've never left, but we believe we have, right? So the ego mind is that part, that's the cat that's swiping at you, that keeps us stuck in our fear. And because we believe we're separated, something has to happen. We have to do something. There has to be a mind shift in order for us to access the love that we already have. And you're Mm. speaking the same language I am, but in different ways right? So the work you're doing is helping people return to that love that they already are. Right. Right. You're helping them access it through, you're not giving them something they don't already have. You're just taking them to, through steps with the unconscious mind to access what's already there. 
Right. So it's essentially, like, you're taking the yeah. ego mind, you're bringing it to the light. Yeah. Well, it's um, yeah, that process of what I what I'm doing with people is they're stuck in this place that's almost like it's like they're in this fear that has no windows and no doors, but and they think that they're locked in there, but they can actually just walk through the walls. Right. And and walk the through the mind, boundary. Yeah. The ego mind loves us to be stuck in that place because mm. as long as we're stuck in the pl that place, the ego survives. Right. Mm. And the course tells us that the ego speaks first and the ego speaks loudest. So we are really conditioned in this world of form to believe that we're, we're bodies, to believe that we are limited, to believe mm -hmm. that I always tell, I tell my clients that there's a crisis of faith, right? We believe in competition and chaos and struggle and pain and all of these things. And the ego mind keeps us in that. Um, and it's insidious. It's really, <laughs> really insidious. It's crafty. It knows exactly what to do. Something happens to us and we have that downward spiral, you know, that downward right. spiral. That's, you know, and you and I have worked together. We've talked about this. Um, so yeah. it's the same. I think it's the same principle in a lot of ways. You know, I'm coming at it from a spiritual bend. You're coming right. at it more from a psychological or, you know, psychotherapeutic bend, but it's the same. Um, and in fact, what's interesting about the Course in Miracles is the people who received the content, so it was channeled content, they were psychotherapists. They were psychology mm. professors at um, Columbia University. And one of the supplements in the um, in the text is a, um, a, a a discourse or a discussion about psychotherapy and the spiritual hmm. aspects of psychotherapy. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Right. And yeah, me working with the unconscious mind, in some ways, it's like a bent science. And but I mean, spirituality could be also sort of considered a bent science. I just made up that term. I don't know. <laughs> but no. there's there's yeah. definitely like, you know, we have pieces of scientific evidence that support what you do, support what I do. But the beautiful thing is, is that we have so many different ways of looking at getting to the same thing. And I think this goes across the board with a lot of religion and a lot of spiritual type of things and a lot of healing things is that ultimately what works and is they're different. They're going to be different for different people because people have different ways they filter the world and so different ways that it's presented or um, administered will actually land and make sense for different people. Right. Yeah. And you, you work with the mind, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where God exists. We're ideas in the mind of God. Our mind is united with God. All minds are connected. So you're working with the mind. So you're working with that part of us that is our spiritual right. base. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it, it, yeah. It's interesting. I spent a lot of time in my life uh, where I considered myself very spiritual. I still consider myself spiritual. But I had this place where I just... I could feel it. I knew it. It was all intuition. And then I started reading some stuff 
that started to explain from a scientific aspect some of the stuff that I just knew innately from a spiritual level. And I got so excited because I'm like, oh my goodness, now I can talk to the science people and I can explain all this stuff that I know from scientific terms, which I got super excited. <laughs> well, it's exciting when you start digging into quantum physics and you understand that science is finally catching up with what we've always known. You know, everything is energy. Your thoughts are vibrations. You know, yeah. all of all of these things that we have, like the spiritual community has known, science is now advanced to the point where they can kind of explain it as much as these things can be explained scientifically, because I think there is an element that will always remain mysterious, but, um, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Who knows? Who maybe knows? not. Yeah. We don't know. Who knows? Uh, so one of the things that I'm really discovering in the work as I'm working with people in these parts work, the stuff is that a lot of these parts, they always have a positive purpose. I mean, we know this. I've talked about this before. The parts of you, even if they're manifesting behavior that they don't, that you're not happy with, they always have a positive purpose. And as I work with these parts, they get to these places of they want community, they want love, and all of this stuff. But here's the kicker: what I'm, what I've discovered is that. A lot of these parts of us that are creating this negative behavior want love and community and things like that so that they, it kind of breaks down to so that they can live. And what I'm uncovering left and right, and this is, I think, going to speaking in a more scientific way. Our nervous system has not progressed as quickly as um, modern world, the modern world. And, but one of the things that we instinctually know from the moment that we are born and we become separate in our mind <laughs> from our mother, I think when we're babies, though, we're still not aware of that separation. But as we become more and more aware of that separation, we have this instinctual understanding that in order to survive, we must be loved. We must have a sense of belonging and be loved or else we will be thrown out of the tribe. And if we're thrown out of the tribe when we're little, we will not survive on our own unless we get adopted by a pack of wolves or something like that. But again, we're not surviving on our own. So, so because of this, love becomes the most important thing. And I think that when we are little, the ways that we bend our behavior are in those moments that we think that we're not loved. So we do something to try to get the love. So we bend our behavior to get the love because we know that if we are not loved, that we will not survive. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, I mean, I'm a couple of thoughts come up, like the, the notion that the baby doesn't believe it's separate from its mother um, initially is interesting right. because the course would say we're not separate. We right. think we're separate because we are in separate bodies, but we're really not. There's only one of us here. So I, I like to think that babies having just arrived here haven't learned all of the ego mind lessons about being separate. Right. 
Um, and they're pure, right? So they're pure love. They haven't, like their ego mind hasn't convinced them of all of the things that we learn in this world of form. But you said lo love is essential because it's all that, that it's the only thing that's real. That's all that really exists is love. And so we do learn how essential it is. And as kids, we act out because we're looking to have that need met, met right? Mm -hmm. We're looking to have approval because love will show up as approval. Love will show up as, um, you know, getting good grades or whatever, right? So that's how we experience love as kids. And so the kid's throwing a temper tantrum, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's basically saying, I want love, love me, but doesn't know, we don't have the language to ask for it. And so totally. all behavior is, has a positive intent. And the intent is always, I need love. And we would behave differently in those circumstances if we knew we could behave differently and still get our, our needs, needs met. met. But in most situations, we default to something that isn't necessarily how we're going to get our needs met, but it's because it's the only way we know how. Right. You know? Um, I've right. heard, you know, a lot of spiritual teachers would say people do better when they know better. Right. And the course also says that all behavior is either love or it's a call for love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So those behaviors that well, show up are basically that call for love. And it seems overly simplified in some ways. Um, but I think we all understand how essential love is. Right. Well, and then we think about, so I think about this when, if we're our need to get our needs met to survive, we need love. And me working with the unconscious mind, the number one objective of the unconscious mind is to preserve the body. Number one, that's the most important thing that will trump anything else. Even if you know better, if it, if your unconscious mind thinks there's a threat to your survival, whatever part that's thinking that is going to trump whatever you might know better. And here's the thing. When we move from getting love, so we're trying to get love, and this is our means of survival when we're little. And as we grow older and our needs, the things that we need for survival shift a little bit. They shift to money. They shift to, I need to put food on the table. So I've been exploring and really seeing resonance about ultimately people's money issues are the same as their love issues. People's food issues are the same as their food issues. If you felt like you were deprived of love and when you had it, you had to hang on tight and hoard it, you're probably doing that with your money. You're probably doing that with the food. Like maybe you eat it all at once because, you know, it might not be there later, things like that. So these, these manifestations of how we get our survival need for love met translate into other things that we need to survive as we grow older. And then it's so that we're fighting for the love or the fear of not having the love or whatever the love means. Cause the love is that peace that you need it for survival. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what's interesting is that um, part of what we learn, which isn't true, is we we learn, we convince ourselves that there is scarcity, mm-hmm. right? That we don't live in an abundant universe, that there's only so much love to go around, right? Um, and the course, one of the first lines of the course is there is no order of difficulty in miracles, right? So, okay. So there's no explain that to me a little bit. So there's no big miracle or no little miracle. A miracle is a miracle. And the course uh, defines miracles as a shift in perception from fear to love. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you see. I do that for people. Yeah, you do. You shift their perception, right? So when you shift the perception to love, then that's the miracle. And then it says all expressions of love are maximal. which if you love that land, all expressions of love are maximal. So this notion that that you can only have a little love is totally, uh, it doesn't make any sense because all expressions mm. of love are maximal. Love is love. Right. Right. But we live in this world where we start to believe um, that certain expressions of love are more important than other expressions of love, right? Mm-hmm. Like our world has convinced us that if you do not have romantic love in your life, you are less than, you are, mm-hmm. you're deprived of something. Mm-hmm. Whereas the course would say romantic love and the love you have with your friendship or with friends or your parents is the same love. Love mm-hmm. is love. All expressions of love are maximal. The expression of the love is different. Right. There's a way you express well, love with your, yeah. with your partner, then, you know, that wouldn't be appropriate to express love to your parents. But the, but right. the, but the content is all the same. It's all love. And mm-hmm. so all of the stories that you work on helping people dismantle are those fear-based, ego-based stories that we have told ourselves that, um, that romantic love is more important or um, that we're not um, worthy of love or, you know, all of these things. And, and love is our natural birthright and it all, we have it already. It comes showering down on us every day. (laughs) We just have to be aware of it. So. It's, um, so one of the things that I really notice a lot, and, and, you know, we are breaking through societal like beliefs little by little, we're chipping away at them. But if we really go back to um, this century, you know, this century, say 19, the last hundred years, 1920 to now. And it was really love was also an essential piece of survival. So we've got this, the women historically before they were really allowed to be in the workplace and before they became as independent as we as women are becoming, you needed your man to survive. The reason you needed somebody to love you to survive. So it's this same dichotomy as when you're a little kid, like you will not probably be able to survive and have a good life on your own. So you need this this man or husband to take care of you. And, you know, it's, I always think about like that saying like, oh, you need a 
a man in a uniform is very good looking because that meant, I mean, in the psychological mind, it meant that he had a job and could provide for you. So therefore, if that man loved you, you would be safe and you would survive. And on the other hand, there was this pressure and it boils down to the same thing, this pressure for men to provide that they were worthless if they couldn't provide. They were unworthy of love if they could not provide. So it still comes down to that I need to be loved to be able to survive uh, thing. And then it's like you bend your behavior to try to get the love or for fear of not getting the love. And like you said, fear of not getting your needs met. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that you're talking in in some ways of sort of the practical application of love. Totally. The supports and all of those things, right? Which are absolutely mm -hmm. essential for the survival of our body. Um, and and, if, and, they, and I, I really don't see any difference, right? Than even the spiritual aspects of love because mm -hmm. the spiritual aspects of love are important for us to have emotional well-being and, you know, to be productive, you know, to even have the wherewithal to get up, get up out of bed and go to work in the morning, right? So it's, totally. they're exactly the same. I, I mean, there are two different applications, but it's the, it's the same and, it, and you're right. It is the most essential thing on the planet. It's, it is, you know, it's the meaning of life. It's the only reason mm -hmm. we're here, right? We're here to be expressions of love because that's who we are. The Course says, teach only love, for that is who you are. That is what you are, hmm. right? We're love in a body. Um, right. So, yeah, so we spend our lives seeking to express love, seeking to feel love. And what we discover on some level is that giving and receiving love are the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely the same thing. And they happen mm -hmm. simultaneously, mm -hmm. right? So, and there's this notion that you have to first love yourself before you can love others. And, and I don't think there's any chicken or egg situation with love. It's like, if you love yourself, you will inherently love others. And if you love others, you will inherently love yourself. So it, it, it's all the same. Well, the, the place where I think it gets hiccuped is the ability to actually receive it. Because if you can give it and not receive it, you're not experiencing a full expression of love, in my opinion, anyway. Because if you can't actually receive it, you stop the flow. And, and I think for me, when I think about love, it, there's a big part, the big biggest part of it is flow. Like it flows through you. It's not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be held. It's meant to move and be shared. And if you can't allow it in, you can give it out, but you're not deplete. You would be depleting yourself. And then that leads to this resentment and this and sliding into the scales of fear and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think we're speaking the same language, but in a different way, because I don't know that mm -hmm. it's all, it's necessarily about receiving love as much as it's about being love, right? And mm. the blocks you remove. So the beginning of the course, um, in the introduction, this is what it says. I'm just going to read a little bit because I think it's, um, 
it's important for our discussion. Um, it says the course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which mm -hmm. is your natural inheritance. So I think in some ways we think that love is something we, re we receive and something mm -hmm. that we give. And on some level, I think that's true, but I think the most important thing to remember is that love is what we are. It's what we are. It's our natural, it's, it is our essence. Love is our essence. And so there, there is the sharing of love back and forth, but I think it's deeper than like, I don't need somebody to give me love to have love. Right. Because it's who I am. Well, here's, here's maybe this is, so we remove the blocks, right? We remove the blocks and then we can just be love. And that means that love and love, this is, you know, I'm making up stuff here. So, but this is, I'm thinking out loud. So if we remove all the blocks and then we're not stopping the flow of love, then we can actually be connected to the flow, which is being connected to one and everything in source, which is love. So then we are actually love. But when we have the blocks, we are stopping the love and from being, from part of us being the love. So if I've got these parts of me that are, you know, trying to prevent something negative from happening, those parts not being connected to the whole, not being brought up and out of that into the love right. are yep. preventing me from being 100% love, even though it's just really about teaching the parts and showing them that they are more. It's, you're absolutely right, as far as I see it. So it's like love is an undeletable file in our system. Mm -hmm. It's undeletable. We have to access it. We have to download it to the screen. And then mm -hmm. all of the crap is like viruses that keep us from doing that. And once mm -hmm. those blocks are removed, then we are restored to what we always were, a conduit of love. Right part of the universal flow of love right and there's only one love right there's only one and you're either in the flow or you're not in the or or you think you're not in the flow the course would say we're always in the flow flow but it's the <laughs> it's the virus in the system that says no you're not you're not you're not and so we don't right. access it in our to our minds right and it all mm -hmm. happens in our minds right mm -hmm. it's in our mind the hell is in our minds heaven is in our minds god right. is in our minds right so the work you do so beautifully Janaya, because you've done this with me mm -hmm. so when you're able to go in there and remove the blocks and what i think is really remarkable about the work you do and the work i do is we don't we don't say to anybody here let me give you the love let me give you the love let me give you the love right that's not possible we say right. what are your limiting beliefs Right. What's the story you're telling? Let's get rid of that. And then you'll be restored yeah. to your natural order. Right. Well, and I, of course, do the work that I do for other people on myself. When I discover 
one of these blocks, one of these viruses, and these little sneaky cat paws. Right. <laughs> like, oh, you think that you're doing really well here? <laughs> like, oh, right. wait, where did that come from? Ah, there's a new one. What? <laughs> but when I go through and I go through the levels and I bring these parts from this place of trying to prevent what they don't want to happen, living in fear, don't, don't, you know, all this stuff to make sure that I'm loved so that I'm not thrown out so that I can survive, like all this stuff. And when I chunk it up and I keep chunking it up and I get through the boundary, which the boundary is a place of acceptance. It's this place of neutrality. And in my vision of the world, well, scientifically, we know that the universe is continuously expanding, which to me says that we also need to continuously expand and, or else we will end up back in the contraction. And so love is a very expansive feeling. We think about when we feel in love, it in whatever capacity we feel very expanded so when i chunk these parts up that get higher and higher and higher for me it doesn't get to this place that i call love but what it does is it snaps me into this grid people that have done psychedelics probably understand what i mean by the grid because i think it's a familiar thing that we see um it snaps me into the grid and there's this continuously like gold flowing energy. And then I become a conduit to hold, to help people up into the grid. So in that perspective, if we call that grid and that golden energy that I see in my mind, when I'm breaking these parts into that higher place and into a place of expansion, if that grid and that golden energy is love, then I'm absolutely a conduit of love. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else you would call it. Right? <laughs> I mean, we call it a grid things. with golden energy. We, That's what call I called it. it. Yeah, we call that many things, right? We call it, uh, you know, source, the universe. Mm -hmm right the creative energy whatever totally i call it god right right and god is love so um it, it's yeah that's what it is and i think we all know it we all feel it we all feel it to some extent right yeah um, or have felt it maybe some people are very it. locked right. in their their little boxes but yeah or we access it on a different level every day right i don't think yeah. it's ever completely gone i don't think it's ever completely gone I, I, I don't know that I've personally met anybody who is in such despair that they don't see a little bit of glimmer of, of hope, right? You know, I, I, I don't think it's, I think it's like the sun on a cloudy day, right? Um, mm. I don't think it's ever completely gone. Um, but we all ac I access it at different levels on a daily basis, depending on how, um, what blocks are in the way. And it's all about the blocks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we all have them. We all have yeah. them. Yeah. To a greater or lesser extent. Um, and then what I think is important too in speaking with from the language of the course again is that um there is no order of difficulty in miracles. So the small block or the big block, they're both mm -hmm. the same. Right. I know, you know, you and I have worked together and we've been in courses together and we talk about trauma, you know, and some right. people think, oh, my trauma is so big. It's so big um, that it's just impossible to clear. 
to clear. And that's what I love about NLP and some of the work that you do is that it's not impossible to clear. And we clear them very easily for the NLP processes that we learned. Yeah. And, and just like the, um, and what we do is we shift perception. Totally. Right? We go and we clear the timeline. We shift the perception. We shift the story around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The course would say it never really happened. It wasn't real. It mm-hmm. wasn't real. It was real on this form, on this land of form. It was real, but it right. wasn't real on a metaphysical level. And what mm-hmm. we do, what you do, is you go into that moment and you say, yeah, it wasn't real. We can just pluck it right out of there. We can just do what we need to do with our minds to shift right. the perception. And that's the miracle. And it doesn't matter if the trauma was, you know, when I was 18, my the love of my life ran off with somebody else. Right. Or when I was 21, I was raped. Right. Right. Now, in the world of form, we freak out because we think, oh, one of those was much more horrible. Right. But in the world of 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 um, the mind, it's a block. Yep. And. And one thing I think that's really important for those of you listening and watching to understand both of those circumstances, you know, a sexual assault or um, a big heartbreak, I feel really big, but we can have these little moments where somebody just said the one thing and it spiked our emotions so high, so fast that it anchored into our neurology, a certain perception. And when that happens, it can be just as traumatic as something big. It's all a matter of what resources you have. So a lot of people come to me and they say, I don't know why I feel like this inside because I had a really great childhood. My parents loved me. I I don't understand why I'm so depressed. And it's a lot of these, you might call them like micro traumas. It's these moments of overwhelm that anchor into your neurology. And these little parts are formed from these overwhelming emotions um, that get stuck in this place of trying to prevent what they don't want. And they start to, the little part starts to look at the world through fear's eyes. And And, you know, over the course of time, it starts to look for evidence to support that those things are true. And when you talk about like the perception of everything, changing the perception. So, oh, you spoke about it from a spiritual aspect of it. I'll speak about it from a scientific aspect. Our our mind processes 11 million bits of information per second. 11 million bits of information, and we are only consciously aware of 60 to 120 of those bits. And what our unconscious mind does to decide what we're going to actually pay attention and notice is it runs it through all these filters, our beliefs, our values, um, you know, past emotional events, Things like that. So that filters our perception. This is why, you know, you and I could have a very emotional experience and we would remember it completely differently because our filters are very different. And so what happens because your unconscious mind is carrying all of that information, 
when we do some of the processes that we do and we're looking at it from a very different perspective where we can see a much wider birth of what was really there, then we can see the resources that were there to allow us to process the emotions so that we can move up out of that place of fear into a more empowered place. And it really is about changing the perception and looking at it from um, a broader, wider scale. I don't want to say higher because, you know, who am I to say higher? But to look at it from a wider perspective, to have more information than those 60 to 120 bits that we use to make a judgment in that moment. And you spoke of being in an empower, you know, seeing it from a more, or being in a more empowered space. And it's interesting because you don't give your clients that empowerment. They already have it. So they're now able to access it, right? Mm -hmm. Which I just I guide them really, to it. Yeah. You guide them to something that was already there. That's inherently there. That totally. Love, that power, of, you know, we're loving a body. And that love is the most powerful force on earth. It's actually mm -hmm. the thing that created all of us, right? In the spiritual sense. So, so we have access to it and you, un, you remove the blocks. You help people access, change their perception and access the blocks. But one of the things I wanted to make sure I said, because when I was talking about the two scenarios, the breakup and the sexual assault, um, or you said, you know, someone who just doesn't get why they don't feel mm -hmm. how they feel how they should feel or think they should feel. So a couple of things in the world of form, these things that happen to us are very, very real. And the feelings and the emotions we feel are very, very real. And there's mm -hmm. something to be said about acknowledging them, feeling all the feels, and then doing what you can to clear them. Mm -hmm. And I do not want anyone to think that I would minimize anyone's pain. By what I say, right. you know, because it's all very real. And for somebody, you know, for me, losing my dog was horrendous. It was horrible. Right. It was in some ways, harder than losing my father, you know, but for other people, that might not be a big deal, you know, right. or whatever. I, you don't get a job or you miss some opportunities. So whatever the pain is, the pain is real. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to feel it. But what's interesting is the Course says and again, uses Christian terminology. It says, look at the crucifixion, but don't dwell on it, mm -hmm. right? So there is mm -hmm. something to be said, and you help your clients do this too. You take them to the place where they can look at the pain. Well, in this, it. and this is really important. I think the aspect of emotions is incredibly important because these parts that get formed or these anchors of where we get stuck in our neurology, um, they're unprocessed emotions. And okay. so when we suffer, we go through grief and all of these things. We have to process our emotions. When we have a breakup, um, there's a time of processing, right? And then you wake up one day and you're like clear hopefully, as long as you're not wallowing in it, just like you said. So it's incredibly important to feel the feelings because we are living, you know, spiritual beings or not, we are living in a human form of a body. And if we do not 
process our emotions, if we do not feel our feelings, if we stuff them in, they remain in the body. And over time, they will cause dis-ease. Exactly. And what's interesting, um, and this could go off on a whole other place, and I don't want it to, but one of the things that I'm realizing, um, so it is that so many of us are uncomfortable with the, the emotions that aren't so great. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't process them or we go and we take a medication that will take right. the edge off of it. And I'm not one to say that people shouldn't take antidepressants or whatever, because they, people absolutely need them. I take yep. them. But there is something to be said about feeling our grief and feeling our, our feelings and mm -hmm. understanding what's, what is natural for us to right. feel. Like yeah. there should, you know, um, we live in a pretty crazy world right now. So if you're not feeling a little bit like things are off kilter, you're probably not paying attention. Right. right. And so that sort of general feeling, that's okay. Um, but I, yeah, what I find is so, I think, I think there's a whole generation of us that weren't really taught to, you know, we grew in the self-esteem time, you know, it's like everyone gets a participation trophy. So nobody feels bad about losing. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, our parents were, you know, a lot of parents want to keep their kids from feeling any pain and, right. and it's important that we feel it and process it yep. and get beyond it to the happy place where we become that kind right. of Right. Well, yeah. And it's that thing because we have emotions to signify things, right? Our nervous system has, has, has not processed as quickly as modern day stresses. So when a spike of an uncomfortable negative emotion usually really did mean there was a threat to our life and we needed to respond. Emotions are how the unconscious mind communicates with us. Right. And so after we have the spike of emotion, we run from the saber toothed tiger. Now we're safe and we shake it out and that clears the emotion out of our body. But we're not doing that these days and we're holding on to it. And then because of that, we're creating these anchors in our neurology that make us really stressed out and fearful of every little thing. I can't lose. It will be uh, a terrible thing. Somebody will be disappointed at me. I can't this. I don't like that. And we're stuffing these emotions because we know that it's not really a threat to our life, but we don't want to feel the feelings. Right. So we're stuffing them. And then... It's again, these bending of the ways, how we're trying to like make sure that we're loved. Perfectionism is so that, you know, we usually it comes from wanting to be loved, wanting somebody to be proud of us or, or not wanting someone to be mad at us. So it's the fear or the love thing again. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because, um, Again, again, speaking from the, the perspective of the course, when we feel so, if you're if you're familiar with Abraham Hicks, um, mm -hmm. who's right, you know Abraham Esther Hicks channels this energy named Abraham, and she talks a lot about um, law of attraction. She says we have an emotional guidance system, 
-hmm. And when we feel the emotion that's kind of shaky, it means we're not aligned with our source. We're not aligned to love, right? So the question I have started to ask myself when I feel that, I feel anxiety or I feel upset about something, like I'm angry. The first question is, where am I withholding love? Because of mm. course, it's like the only thing that's missing in any situation is what we're not bringing to it. So where am I withholding love? Am I withholding love from somebody else or am I withholding love from myself? And I actually have this grid I use to um, determine if I'm coming at a decision from love or from fear. Mm. Because when I, can, when I can come at it from love, then then I'm aligned with my who my, my authentic self. Right. And oftentimes we don't say no to things because we are stuck in fog, which is what um, one of my mentors, Sark, would say is fear, obligation, or guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. So I say yes right. to going to the party. I really want to say no. No is the most loving, authentic response for me. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm stuck in fear, obligation, and guilt. So I say, yes, I go to the party. Right. And then I have all the icky feelings. I'm resentful yeah. that I'm there. I'm having a lousy time. I'm depressed, whatever. Right. And, um, and so when we can approach those decisions from a place of love, loving ourselves and loving, you know, from like, what's my most authentic response? That will right. always be, you know, love will always give the loving response. Right. I, yeah. I like to look at it as, and I never really thought about it specifically as love and fear, but contraction or expansion, right? Acceptance is neutral. Is it, you know, when these parts of us that are these blocks, they're in this contraction space, you know, worrying about what they don't want. And, you know, that's just what you said, the obligation, the this, the that, and, um, and then we get to the acceptance and then then feel emotions get kind of neutral and then expansion. So if the expansion is the love, if we meet contraction with expansion, you can even look at this like in business when uh, the people that have done really well during the pandemic, right? Everything started contracting during the pandemic, they expanded. And so whether you want to think of that as love or not, it's just like expansion versus contraction. If you are being real bitter and you're in this place of contraction and you're spewing it all over the place, if I meet you with genuine love, with no fear, no contraction in my body, it almost always neutralizes it. Absolutely. Almost it's always, light, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember, I remember once I was waiting for the bus in San Francisco and I was sitting on this little curb on the side of a building and this real menacing guy stood up and you could tell that he was going to like mess with me. And I just looked up at him with like big eyes. I was like, hi. And he just like, he was so shocked. He just laughed and sat down and we had a great conversation. So here's this person that I could feel his contracting energy. Like he was going to try and mess with me. I don't know if he, maybe he was going to rob me. I don't know. But I just met him with this light and joy and it just squashed it and made everything like feel good. Yeah. It's so, like, if you're in so a dark, we could be in, we could be in the Staples arena, right. Or whatever the places in, in Los Angeles. Right. And mm-hmm. it could be pitch black. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And if someone stands in the middle of the, the court, in the middle of the arena, and lights a candle, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Everybody lights it is gonna, That light is going to expand to the entire arena. Yeah. That's not going to be enough to light it all up. But every wall in that place is going to catch a little bit of the light. It takes only and... that light. And it will inspire people to pull out their lighters and all of that. It's contagious. Like a smile is contagious. In the morning, I walk, go get coffee and do my morning gratitude questions. And I'm always walking around with this big old smile on my face. And man, people are like, oh, hi, good morning, good morning. Like in this so genuinely authentic way that I don't see them do that to anybody else. And it's because I'm in that place, right? That place of expansion or that place of love. And it's, I mean, it just feels better to be there. (laughs) It's the most powerful vibration, right? And love and gratitude. They're all the, so we talk in the course of text in, in, um, in terms of love and fear, but you could, and I've done this before, I'll, like love is cooperation versus competition. Love is um, generosity versus, you know, stinginess, right? Mm-hmm. So you can go through all of the emotions and say, okay, what's the love? What's the fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the love is always the most attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Gratitude is the feeling tone most aligned with abundance. So if you can walk around with gratitude and with love, then by definition, you're going to attract abundance. Yeah. Right. It's that it is the high vibration. And that's what quantum physics is proving too. like those Mm -hmm. ideas send out a vibration that orders the universe. Right. Well, and, and just real like to wrap this up, if you are filtering and focused on all the things that you really want, if you're coming from that place, the law of attraction works. But so many of us have these blockages in these parts where we're so focused on what we don't want and we're communicating to the universe these images and flashes of what we don't want. Our brain does not, our brain or the universe, however we communicate, it sees the images that flash through our head. It does not understand the word not. Yeah. We have, um, yeah. we have a crisis of faith. I always say this. I mean, maybe I said it earlier today too. Our, our crisis of faith is not that we don't have faith. It's that we have immensely, immensely powerful faith in status quo, in mm-hmm. business as usual, in same old, same old, same problems, same shit, different day. Excuse my French, right? right. That's what we I'm going to be comfortable. That. And that's why you're going up. All right. Well, I know that we could continue this for another like four hours, (laughs) but we're getting close to the end of the hour. So Jerome, why don't you tell everybody how to get in touch with you, um, the services, the offerings that you have uh, to be able to share your love with the world? Yeah. So um, I, my business is really my my mission is to let people know that they're connected with the, the divine however they define that and that our lives are really meant to be happy and joyful um and so i work with clients one-on-one uh with all kinds of practices to help them clear the blocks clear the limiting b- beliefs to um to tap into who they truly are 
and who's, you know, the great power that lives within them. People can reach me by uh, going to manifestingbrilliance.com, uh, manifestingbrilliance at gmail.com. And I'm on all the socials as manifesting brilliance in some some form or another. So, um, and then the last thing I'll mention is on Mondays from 5.30 to 7, I lead a group, um, a study group for A Course of Miracles. And, oh, uh, that's you, awesome. Yeah. So if someone's interested in that, they can write to me at manifestingbrilliance at gmail.com and I can give them the information to, to log into that. We're taking a three-week hiatus for the holidays, but we'll be starting up again on January 10th. So if anyone's interested in the course, curious about it, it's a great way to kind of dip your toe in that. Love it. Love it. All right. And those of you that know me know that I'm an unconscious mind expert and I work to clear out those unconscious blocks, those things that self-sabotage you. You can book a free step-up call, which we would get to see if we're a good fit to work together at JeneaBarnes.com. That's G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S. I feel like I need to make that a cheer. <laughs> or you can DM me on Facebook at Jenea Barnes Elevate or Instagram at Jenea Barnes. I'm all over the place. I'm even on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I love it. <laughs> I am. I am. I love the TikTok videos. They're like commercials for things you actually want to watch. <laughs> I need to explore the TikTok. It looks like fun. <laughs> so if anybody wants to explore getting rid of those blockages to be more connected to the love that they truly are, to step into expansion, reach out to Jerome or myself and yeah, take that step. You all deserve to feel good, period. I'll just Amen. say that. Amen. Yeah, that's what life is about. Right. So thank you very much. This has been a wonderful conversation. We'll probably do it again another day. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure. And thank you all for listening and watching. And we will see you next time on Self-Sabotaging Sagas. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment, give it a rating, pass it along to your friends, follow it. These actions help other people find this podcast, and I, of course, greatly appreciate it. Thanks again, and have a beautiful day.